Welcome to day 129 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are Second Chronicles chapters 10 through 12. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Chapters 10 through 12 recount the reign of Solomon's son Rehoboam. Clearly, the most significant consequence of Rehoboam's kingship was the division of the kingdom between the north and the south. Those two divided and never reunited. An objective historical question would be, is the breaking away from Judah by the northern tribes an act of rebellion against authority, or is it an act of liberation against oppression? It's somewhat unfortunate that because of the eventual destruction of the northern tribes by Assyria, we simply don't have an existing history of this period told from the perspective of the north, from Ephraim or Israel. Samuel, Kings and Chronicles all come from Judah, from the south, and thus they all narrate that history from a southern point of view. Thus, the chronicler continually refers to the divide as a rebellion by the north. However, in an act of transparency, the chronicler also acknowledges in the text that part of the blame on this divide should be placed on the lack of wisdom exhibited by Rehoboam and the Judeans. Things begin to fall apart rather quickly in chapter 10. Rehoboam was clearly not as wise as his father Solomon. Although it's true from a certain point of view that Solomon's empire was built through a degree of oppression, Rehoboam doubles down on his father's authoritarianism, and it has devastating effects. The first half of Rehoboam's story centers on the divide. A new leader means an opportunity to create some new relationships and renegotiate some rules or laws. So the northern tribes send Jeroboam as kind of their union representative to negotiate terms with Jerusalem. They ask that the burden of labor imposed upon them by Solomon be lessened. King Rehoboam at first goes to the elders for advice as to how he should proceed, and they encourage him to grant their request and to work for unity. Unfortunately, Rehoboam ignores their experienced advice and instead sides with his young colleagues who urge him to respond with a show of force. With some great lines of bravado, Rehoboam declares that he will be even more oppressive and demand far more than his father Solomon ever did. The northern tribes, with Jeroboam as their representative, respond precisely as you might expect to Rehoboam's unwise answer. They sing an old song of rebellion and break away from Jerusalem's authority over them. They even kill those sent by Rehoboam to oversee their labor, and they declare their independence. Chapter 11 turns to the second half of Rehoboam's reign after the divide. At first, Rehoboam responds to the northern rebellion with a desire to start a civil war, but God intervenes by sending a previously unknown prophet, Shemaiah, to him with a message to not wage war against his own brothers and sisters. In fact, God says, the division is part of the divine plan and a fulfillment of earlier promises and judgments. Having been ordered by Yahweh not to make war against Israel, Rehoboam instead turns his attention to fortifying 15 key cities in the nation of Judah. At first, things seem to be going okay for Rehoboam. The priests and Levites flock to Judah and Jerusalem. Jeroboam in the north is creating religious practices that go against God's purposes. The people are also giving Rehoboam their support, and the text states that Judah kept following the ways of David and Solomon. The chapter even ends with a description of Rehoboam's expanding household and his appointment of Abijah to become king after him. All seems well. But chapter 12 begins this way. But as soon as Rehoboam had secured his royal power, he, along with all Israel, abandoned the the Lord's instruction. 
So Egypt's king or pharaoh, Shishak, attacks Judah with an impressive force behind him. The attack may have been one of those things that happens when a nation goes through changes in leadership and now seems vulnerable. Shishak may also have been the ruler giving Jeroboam safe haven earlier in the text and so sees this opportunity to come and attack Judah. Again, the prophet Shemaiah appears and informs Rehoboam and his advisors that this attack from Egypt is due to their sinfulness. God will not allow Judah to be destroyed, but God is going to give them a taste of what it feels like to be oppressed and to live under the thumb of another power. In the end, Shishak does not destroy Jerusalem, but forces Rehoboam to pay a heavy tribute in return for peace. Coming to the end of Rehoboam's life, the chronicler judges his 18-year reign as negative because he didn't set his heart on seeking the Lord. One of the interesting aspects of the way both the Deuterohistorian in Samuel and Kings and now the chronicler narrates the history of Israel and Judah is the blending of divine and human action. In our chapters for today, there are a number of places where the text will say that something happened because God wanted it to happen. Yet at the end of the account of Rehoboam, he's still judged as being responsible for the division and for the brokenness of the nation. So did God do it or did Rehoboam do it? I think the answer the text gives is yes, that our lives are given a great deal of freedom and therefore a lot of responsibility by God and from God, and yet our lives are not absent from the presence and the ever-going activity of God. The narrator seems to recognize that God keeps working and moving in ways that make even the worst of the decisions made by God's people somehow redeemable and part of God's plan, purpose, and will. These texts serve as a warning, but also a promise. A warning against going against God's wisdom, but a promise that God, even in the midst of our bad decisions, keeps working for our good. Sometimes we want it one way or the other, that God does it all or we do it all, but the narrators just won't do that. They see our lives as this interesting blend of synergy between our will and God's ever-redeeming love. So read these texts carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Journal your thoughts, your prayers, and your questions. Tomorrow, we keep on reading. Our texts are 2 Chronicles chapters 13 through 15, and we're adding Psalm 55. I'll talk to you tomorrow.